0: Chapter twenty of Two Sides to Every Question by Maud Jean Frank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirstie. Chapter Twenty. Saved as by Fire. A great surging of tumultuous elements, a cloud, a darkness, and then a delicious, dreamy calm and quiet, interspersed by long and dreamless sleep. No thought, no desire to think, no questioning no remembrance of the past arthur delta came back to life out of a terrible battle and conflict a fierce and wild conflict that rent and tore him asunder weak as an infant and with as little thought or reason the very memory of the bitter cause itself appeared to be blotted out his hopes and his fears his temptation and sin and the last finale of all elsie's desertion all seemed swept into chaos it was a mercy indeed that it was so and now in his utter weakness he lay passively quiescent to all that was done for him taking the spoonfuls of nourishment as he had done in earliest infancy simply because they were held to his lips but lifting neither eye nor hand to his attendants like to a little child also came the gradual dawnings of intellect there was still no desire to speak but the eye turned slowly from object to object with a half-wandering half-appreciative gaze slowly back to life he came slowly but surely and as slowly dawned upon him the sense and beauty of what he saw opposite his bed was an open window letting in the soft cool breezes and the fragrance of flowers a rose had scrambled up to the window ledge and showed its fair sweet face just above it with a cluster of two or three opening buds beyond this stood a tree laden with large yellow plums they gleamed like golden ingots among the green leaves and were a fair and pleasant sight to see still beyond there was a peep of the hills all indentation sunshine and shadow and above all a gleam of soft blue autumnal sky through this window as his mind grew stronger his eyes most frequently went not indeed to the sweet rose and its lovely buds not to the golden fruit hanging in rich clusters just ready to fall not even to the soft shadowy hills in the distance, but to that fair gleam of blue sky, and beyond, beyond. It almost seemed that the spirit so nearly released from its cage came reluctantly back to its earthly habitation, glancing wistfully back to the quiet and the calm and the stillness. So Nettie interpreted the wistful glance of the eye, the quiet, sad, upward gaze so suggestive of a longing to flee away and be at rest. "'We must make his coming back to earth and earthly objects easy to him, Tom,' she said one evening, as Arthur lay quietly sleeping the soft slumber of returning health. "'I like to make his room as pleasant as I can. I think it does look pretty, too. Don't you?' "'That's a fact, Nettie, darling. You make everything look pretty that you touch. And so Fred thinks, I know,' said Tom, looking up from his plate with brotherly admiration. "'I touch you pretty often.' said nettie archly ah and the result is plain enough tom laughingly returned but i think you are right we must try to make him forget the past though i'm afraid when he does really get better and all his memory returns it will make terrible work with him yes i'm afraid so too though as mother says he has passed through the fire and fire you know consumes the dross perhaps he may feel less keenly than we fear but what a terribly cold-hearted little creature that cousin of his must be seeming so sweet and lovely too those english letters bother me said tom i'm afraid there's bad news in them one of them is edged with black poor fellow he has had hard lines of it but mother says it is all for the best and i guess she knows memory did not however come back very fast there were slight dawnings now and then but for a long time he did not appear to recognise any of his attendants tom purposely kept out of his way by the doctor's orders let him gain strength first and then he will be more prepared for memory said the kind-hearted man and his orders were always strictly obeyed elsie had been a fortnight on her wedding tour when arthur's scattered senses began to rally little gleams of the past came to him and threw their troubled impress on his brow sometimes he lay with his thin hand over his eyes for hours once or twice nettie in her kind ministrations, saw bright drops gleaming between his transparent fingers and her own tears were ready to well out in sympathy immediately it is his cousin he is thinking of she said to herself what a pity he cannot forget her he spoke sometimes now slowly and weakly always replying to the doctor's questions or thanking those who waited on him little more than that he is beginning to recall the past more fully said mrs alton to the doctor one morning a good sign an excellent sign my dear friend painful for him no doubt but salutary he will get over it some of its bitterness has been crushed out he will never suffer so severely from it again perhaps it was so at any rate he suffered quietly and he never mentioned elsie's name but deep down in his heart there was another agony at work Mrs. Alton alone held the key of that sorrow, and eagerly watched for an opportunity to relieve it. He was sitting raised among his pillows one day, and Mrs. Alton was watching by him alone. She had just given him his medicine, and brought a few ripe grapes to refresh him. "'You are very good, Mrs. Alton. How shall I ever repay you?' he said in a weak, low voice. And he presently added, after a pause, "'I am not worthy of your kindness.' you would shrink from me if you knew all i perhaps know more than you suspect the temptation and the sin too she answered kindly with a view to help his confidence do you know he continued the old fear and dread and despair coming over him do you know that at any moment i may be arrested had not mrs alton possessed a clue to his wild words she might have feared the return of delirium as it was she quietly answered "'There is no fear of that, Mr. Delta. "'You sinned by yielding to temptation. "'But the actual deed was never done. "'No one but yourself and me knows anything about it.' "'He looked eagerly, wildly, at her. "'I have that cheque you wrote in safety. "'I found it where you must have thrust it, "'in your waistcoat pocket, "'and fancying all was not quite right. "'Knowing, Mr. Delta, "'that you were away from your mother "'and exposed to temptation, "'I kept the knowledge to myself.' I have not destroyed the check. I waited for you to do that. You betrayed yourself over and over again in your illness, but no one understood your raving. I alone held the clue. I will give it up to you now. And taking her keys, she walked across the room, and unlocking a little drawer, came back to him with the forged check in her hand. He held his out eagerly to receive it, looking a moment at it and then tearing it with his weak fingers till every particle was in tiny shreds mrs alton gathered them carefully up casting them into the fire that burnt brightly on the hearth for the evenings were often chilly now thank god my son the sin went no further that you were stricken down in the very act said mrs alton returning to his side and laying her cool hand on his burning head thank god you are saved though as by fire his mother's words he remembered them now had she dreamt of his temptation his sin and his escape i do thank him mrs alton again and again but alas the sin was mine the intention though but the work of a moment's mad delirium and it was all for her he broke down utterly turning white to his lips mrs alton drew the pillows away and laid him gently down Holding a restorative and soothing draught to his lips, it was almost too much for him, but it was better over. She thought as she watched the colour coming slowly back, and as the draught took effect, soft sleep falling upon him. He will be more at rest now. That terrible dread of the future is away now that he knows no one is suffering for his sin. How good God has been to him and to us all. After that evening, he began to get better rapidly the one great load removed from his mind he grew strong day by day he had been arrested in the very act the tidings of the falsity of her for whose sake he was doing the evil and the crushing sense of the sin he was committing came down together on his head the agony of that moment followed him throughout his delirium and mrs alton had saved him how he loved her for her goodness to him the same loving discretion that had brought his sin to light and helped him to escape its consequences, gently drew from him the history of his love and of his anguish. It is better that he speaks of it, she thought. And it was better, for with her gentle counsel he learned more easily to forget, or rather to think of Elsie in her new position as beyond him. He could not indeed forget her, but as the wife of another his feelings towards her could not remain the same. The doctor was right. Much of the bitterness had been crushed out, She is little worthy of all my love, since wealth has made her false, he thought, though even then he remembered there might be another side to the question. It was her temptation, he said, and to temptation we have both yielded. My mother would thank you for your goodness to her son, he said one day to Mrs. Alton, as a gleam of sudden recollection flashed to memory, and he has suddenly asked, Did Tom fetch my English letters, Mrs. Alton? He did, Mr. Delta. She slowly replied, "'Will you let me have them? I can read them now.' "'Do you think you are strong enough? They may contain bad news,' said Mrs. Alton, hesitatingly. "'Give them to me, please,' said Delta, flushing up and turning pale. "'The worst news I can hear is my mother's death. She has an internal disease. I am always fearing that news,' he added, in a low, sad voice. "'You can bear it, then. The letters are here.' and she placed the bundle in his hands, the black-edged one uppermost, and turned abruptly away. A moment of deep silence, and then the rapid tearing open of the letters, and then a deep-drawn sigh of relief. "'Thank God! My mother lives, Mrs. Alton!' she turned joyfully around. "'This this letter—this black-edged letter—is from her—her own dear handwriting,' he exclaimed. "'I shall see her again.' and he lay back among the cushions, faint with the joyful intelligence. His mother had consented to undergo an operation. It had been terrible, but a complete success. There was every hope of her living many years. So he told her, after he had read and re-read his letters. "'They want me home,' he said quietly, as he folded them up. "'Fortune has turned a little with us. A small estate has been left to my father. Not wealth, but competency.' and i am needed at home i am thankful for it mrs alton for after what has passed it would have been hard for me to have remained in adelaide it will be better for you to go home the voyage alone will help to restore you mrs alton replied i am glad for your sake though we shall all miss you now you must make haste and get well you will not easily i think forget to whom you owe all these blessings she gently added "'Your heavenly father has been very merciful to you. "'See what you can do for him. "'I wish my future to be bright with his praise. "'Pray for me, dear Mrs. Alton, "'that I may be kept from temptation,' said Arthur gravely. "'The lesson I have learnt has been a hard one, "'but I do not think I shall readily forget it.' "'The tidings of his mother's restoration to health, "'of the altered aspect of family affairs, "'of the approaching marriage of his sister Kate, "'with the bright letters of his sisters,' running over with all joyful intelligence, gay with the contemplated removal to their new and pretty home in one of the loveliest villages in Devonshire, within easy reach of the county town. An estate coming through the death of an eccentric maiden cousin of their father's, who had secretly made him her heir, did much to restore Arthur Delta back to health and life. Before another month had passed, he had taken farewell of the Altons, and was standing on the deck of a homeward-bound vessel with his uncle, aunt, and Lily. They had been very kind to him, indeed, had done everything in their power to make up for the past. Mr. Clinton himself had made matters straight with Bennett, while Arthur lay between life and death, and he was now going home, laden with all sorts of remembrances from his Australian friends. As to the mines, they had stopped working, leaving the shareholders nowhere. Mr. Clinton's own losses, though insignificant to him, had the effect of making him more lenient to his nephew but he had another daughter to dispose of and lily had shown great sympathy for her cousin in his illness there was no understanding these girls or what their sympathy might grow to he said to his wife so his farewell shake of the hand was a great deal warmer than his welcome had been for the rest of our friends tom alton rose yearly in favour with the firm his dreams were soon accomplished the pretty little cottage became his own and his mother's last days were peaceful and happy ones she was lovingly cared for by a neat-handed little daughter-in-law who was all she could desire nettie made a bonny bride a few months after arthur delta's return to england the mail steamer brought loving letters to her from his sisters and still more substantial thanks in the form of a plentiful and very pretty trousseau the lovely little home of mr and mrs fred glaveston was in the same pleasant neighbourhood so near indeed to the old home that nettie's mother had nearly as much of her company the sewing-machine which had worked so noisily for others was now restricted to the sewing for the family lily clinton after all married less for wealth than affection but her parents were content for she never left the old home and elsie well with elsie we have nothing further to do our sympathies do not accompany her no doubt she found her side of the question to her taste whatever we may think of it End of chapter 20. End of Two Sides to Every Question from a South Australian Standpoint by Maud Jean Frank.